attention, your flight to Dallas, Texas has been canceled. Those are the words that Meg and I heard over Christmas break, actually on Christmas Day. We were really looking forward to hanging out with my family in uh, Tyler, Texas, and so we had actually made this whole plan where uh, my three-year-old niece, Sloan, we told her that it was Christmas Eve on Christmas Day. We lied to her, okay? I'm sorry. Um, but we told her it was Christmas Eve so that when we got there and woke up the next morning, we'd act like it was Christmas and we'd celebrate and open gifts together. So we were really pumped. We were really looking forward to getting to be with my family. So it's Christmas Day. We go to the end zone and we have worship over there. We go to Reagan and we have a flight at 4 o'clock and we're waiting in line and the pilot's there, the plane's there. I'm thinking, all right, this is my first time to fly Christmas Day. Here we go. And they say, we don't have a flight attendant. And at that moment, I mean, I started telling them, like, hey, guys, look, I, I can pass out peanuts. I can, hey, sit anywhere you want. Uh, no disrespect to flight attendants in the room. But, um, they, yeah, we didn't have a flight attendant. So they came on and said, guys, your flight is canceled. And I'm crushed. I'm so disappointed because we don't get to see my family that much. And every day matters. And so we get on, we get in line, we find another flight, and they're like, all right, it's going to be like 9 p.m. So first flight's canceled. And we wait in line, I'm telling my parents, hey, change of plans. We're getting on this other flight. We'll still be there tonight, though. So 9 o'clock comes, plane's there, pilot's there, flight attendant is not there, flight gets canceled again. So now it's like, okay, we're definitely not going to make it on Christmas, so maybe we'll make it the next day. And I thought that that was going to be the worst of it. <laughs> I, I thought that that was going to be as bad as it was going to get. It was standing in line a couple hours, wait, and, you know, for flights. Well, we got in line at 11 p.m., and we stood in that same line until 7 a.m., and we slept on the floor for an hour from 3 to 4 a.m., and it was pretty bad. I mean, it was, I was stinking, and I was mad, and people were, like, getting in fights, trying to get tickets, and we finally get to the front, and they say, hey, we've got a flight, like, right now to Chicago, and so we said, we'll take it. We're gone. We jump on the plane. We get to Chicago. And I'm thinking, we're going to do it. We're going to be just a day behind. This is awesome. I'm calling my parents, texting my parents. Hey, no worries. We'll be there one day late. Well, we sit down. We get lunch. And we start to look at the app. And the next thing you know, we realize, wait a minute. All our connecting flights have been canceled. And our bags are already going to Dallas. We're in Chicago. So what are we going to do? So I have to text my parents again, hey, change the plans. We don't know what we're going to do. So we stand in a line for a while. That flight gets canceled. We stand in line for another flight. That gets canceled. We're seeing people like passing out in the airport. Like literally people are passing out. People are breaking down, crying. People had it way worse than us. I'm sure you read some of the terrible things that happened. But we're just walking around like, this is awful. What is happening? So I decide, hey, let's just drive to Dallas. Let's drive from Chicago to Dallas. Um, we actually made an attempt to find our bags in Midway in Chicago, and here's what that looked like. Um, I may or may not have snuck through the barriers and tried to uh, get our bags, but they threw me out. So, um, yeah, that's the pastor. But um, so... <laughs> We get a hotel, and I'm like, all right, we'll drive. So it's easy. We'll just get a rental car. Well, it wasn't that easy because there were no rental cars within two hours of Chicago. So we had to get in an Uber. We drive two hours. 
they say you need a credit card. I don't have a credit card. And I'm like, I got the church credit card. Pat, is this okay? He says, yeah, you can do it. We're good. So I paid it back. Don't worry. So we get in the car and we drive, I don't know, it's like probably 15 hours with stops. We stayed the night. So we went from Illinois. Uh, we went through Oklahoma, we're, all these different states, Missouri. We're, and we finally get to the pearly gates of Texas, the greatest country in the history of the world. Praise God. We get to Dallas. We get our bags by the grace of God. I don't know how that happened. And we drove two hours to Tyler. And finally, not Sunday, but Wednesday, we got there for Christmas. And, and that's a great example of a change of plans. <laughs> uh, it was a horrible uh, experience, but it was a change of plans. And so I don't know about you guys. Have you ever had a change of plans? You nod your head if you've ever had a change of plans. Maybe, maybe this Christmas you had a change of plans in travel. Um, but maybe something like you thought you were going to go to a certain college. You just planned the, all this time, I'm going I'm to go to this school. And then, oh, change of plans, something else happened. Maybe you thought... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna work in this field. I'm gonna have this type of career, and then, well, change of plans. Something else happened. Maybe you thought I'm gonna live somewhere where people have weekends and it's restful, and and then you move to Northern Virginia. Change of plans. Uh, things that you know happen. But we've all experienced. We all know what it's like to have a change of plans. And today we're gonna open up the Word of God, and we're gonna see where the Apostle Paul had a change of plans. So if you got a Bible, open up with me to Second Corinthians. We're in a sermon series right now called Be Encouraged. We're going to be going through the book of 2 Corinthians for like eight months, basically, and we're going to have some different series along the way. So we're not going to be in 2 Corinthians straight for eight months, but um, you're going to be in 2 Corinthians a lot. So um, I'm going to give some context for what is 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is a letter. It's actually probably the fourth letter that Paul wrote, at least maybe the fourth letter. Uh, this is just the second one that we have recorded in the Bible. So the Apostle Paul, he went to the city of Corinth in Greece, and he planted a church roughly in AD 50. A couple years later, he wrote a letter called 1 Corinthians, so we call it, and he was trying to help them believe the right things, live the right way, a lot of issues. Well, the issues continued, and so he had to write another letter, which is what we now call 2 Corinthians, or as people across the pond and our former president says, 2 Corinthians. Um, thank you for that. Um, so, um, so why did he write this? Okay, Why did Paul write this letter? This is actually a very unique letter. This is unlike any other epistle in the New Testament. It's very personal. It's not a big treatise on doctrine. It's not just a really application-oriented you know, type of message. It's like Paul opening his heart up and bearing his heart to this group of people that he loves so much. It's, it's extremely personal. So what we're reading is very unique. The reason that it's so personal is, to make it really simple and short, is there were a group of false apostles who came into the church and were leading these Christians away from the gospel, leading them away from Jesus, and leading them away from the Holy Spirit which is obviously creating division in the church. They're not coming, becoming mature in their faith. And so Paul, he has to defend himself. This is kind of bizarre when you think about it. The apostle Paul, who planted this church, was having to defend himself. Like five years after he planted the church. He spent 18 months there when he first planted the church, pouring his heart out, loving, serving these people. And here he is, he has to defend his love for them. He has to defend his authority as an apostle. He has to defend the way he did ministry. He has to defend his character. 
And so Paul, uh, he again, it's really personal. He really bears his heart. Last week, uh, Sean kicked the series off, and we read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11, And we discovered that God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us so that we can comfort others. And so today, we're going to pick up right where we left off, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is the word of God. Indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you, with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. For we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand completely, just as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride, just as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, he, he gives this introduction and he talks about God's comfort him in suffering and comforts the church in Corinth. And now he pivots to talking about something that he has to boast about, which is interesting that Paul would talk about boasting. That doesn't seem very Paul-like. What was Paul's boast? It was the testimony of his conscience. Well, what did his conscience say? Paul treated the Corinthians with integrity. He treated them with godly sincerity, with purity, and not in a human wisdom, fleshly kind of way, but by the grace of God. So Paul is saying, look, I've got something to boast about to you guys. I've treated you well. And so for you today, whether you're, you know, just a member of this church, like you attend and you're in a group, or whether you're a leader in some capacity, whether you lead a life group or a ministry, or um, whether you mentor or disciple or counsel people, whatever it is, What's the testimony of your conscience? Would your conscience, if it could speak this morning, if we give it the mic and say, hey, what does your conscience say? Would it say they treat people here with integrity? They treat people with godly sincerity, with purity, and by God's grace. Is that true of you? Is it true of me? I've got to ask myself this question. Is this how I treat people? So Paul had something to boast about. He treated them with integrity. He also had a hope for them. He hoped something for the Corinthians. He hoped that they would understand something, this powerful truth. And remember, all of this is to restore the relationship and to defend his authority as an apostle. I've treated you with integrity, and I, I want you to understand something. What was it? He wanted them to understand that on the day that Jesus returns from heaven to earth, and they see Jesus, they're in a transformed body, they're on a new heaven, a new earth, they're going to feel something. Well, I would imagine they'd be feeling a lot of things. You're seeing Jesus. you got a new body. You're living forever. But that's, that's actually not what they're feeling. That's not what he's focused on. He said, you're going to feel pride. Not in themselves. They're not going to feel proud about who they are or what they've done. They're going to feel proud. They're going to be proud. They're going to feel pride in Paul, in Silas, in Timothy, in the very people who shared the gospel with them, who ministered to them, who led them. Think about that. Like, do you understand that? Do we really think this way? Can you, like, just imagine that you are standing in the presence of Jesus, 
the resurrected king of the universe, on that day, he judges the living and the dead. Imagine all that you would feel, all that you'd be thinking. And in that moment, you feel pride. You're proud. And picture the person who first shared the gospel with you. Picture that person who discipled you. Picture a person who counseled you or led you or preached the word of God to you. You're going to be proud of them. And they are going to be proud of you. That's powerful. Talk about a way to restore the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. He said, I, I hope that they'll understand this. And it was because that Paul could boast about his integrity and he you know, hoped that they would understand this. It led him to say this. In verse 15. Because of this confidence, I plan to come to you first so that you could have a second benefit and to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come to you again for Macedonia and be helped by you on my journey to Judea. Now, when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I planned, do I plan in a purely human way so that I say yes yes and no no at the same time so Paul he has to bring up something uncomfortable and it was this Paul actually made plans to visit the Corinthians at one point he told them in first Corinthians chapter 16 he wanted to come and visit them and not just have a short trip but he wanted to stay the whole winter really spend some time with them and kind of like me and Meg this Christmas plans changed and now, in most situations, that probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Like, the one thing you can be certain of is that plans are going to change. Like, that's just how life works, right? Plans change all the time. But in this context, this group of people who were trying to undermine the authority of Paul, they leverage this. They say, aha, he told us he was going to come, and he didn't. What does that tell us about Paul? Well, it tells us he's selfish. He only cares about himself. He doesn't really love us he's not led by the Holy Spirit I mean if he was led by the Spirit of God then he would have been able to get here if God's faithful if God keeps his word well then how can the guy that God sends to tell people about himself be unfaithful so see what what happens is, is it's not the issue isn't just that Paul didn't come when he said he would here's the issue if they can't trust that the messenger's true then how can they trust the message if Paul is unfaithful, if he says, I'm going to do this and doesn't do it, then how can they trust that Jesus is really who he says he is? And so this is a really important issue. And so Paul, he raises their own questions that they're asking. He says, when I plan, do I do it, you know, having a double mind? Do I do it in the flesh just as a human? Do I make a promise and say, oh, yes, yes, I'll be there, doubly saying it to affirm I'm definitely going to be there. And at the same time, saying no, no. So he raises these questions that they're asking. Now watch how he answered verse 18. As God is faithful, so he immediately goes to God, the character of God. As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, uh, Silvanus, which is Silas in Greek, Silas, Timothy, and I, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, 
in him, it's always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Every one of them. Therefore, through Jesus, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He's also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. So Paul raises their questions. Is he double-minded? Is he, is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? Is he vacillating? He says, no, I'm not. God, the God that I serve and worship who's commissioned me as an apostle, God is faithful. And the message that we've given to you, it's not yes and no, it's yes. Jesus has fulfilled every one of the promises of God. So God said he was going to do something, and then he did it in the person of Jesus by sending him to earth to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to raise him from the dead. So the message and the messenger are both faithful. They're both trustworthy. The answer is no. He doesn't plan that way. What we'll look at next week is that he actually has a really good reason for not doing what he initially planned. Spoiler alert, he wanted to spare this church a severe rebuking. So they tried to turn it on him. Oh, he's selfish. No, he says, I did this for you. I did this for your good. This is what God was leading me to do in his grace. And so God's made these promises. He's telling the church in Corinth, look, God promised Abram to give him many nations. He promised King David to put a descendant on the throne to reign forever. He promised to take the heart of stone out and put the heart of flesh in and put his spirit in people. And every single one of God's promises are yes. How? In Jesus Christ. God has come through. God has delivered. He's fulfilled all of his promises. But do you believe that? Do you really believe that when you read scripture and you see promises, promises that are made specifically for believers in the New Testament especially, not, and I'm not talking about your personal wishes, that's important, not saying you just say, oh, I really want this, and well, God, you promised to bless me, so give me, no, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about when you read the Bible and you see that God promised to do something, promised to give you wisdom when you ask, promised to give you a way out of temptation, promised to never leave you or forsake you, promised to raise you bodily from the dead, do you believe it? Do you say that's trustworthy? God does what he says. He's not going to say one thing and do another. Do you trust the faithfulness of God? Do you trust the word of God? All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. It makes me think of the song, all his promises are yes and amen. But wait a minute, why does the song say that? Why, do, why does the song say all his promises are yes and amen? Well, Paul says that because God has been faithful and he's fulfilled his promises, we respond a certain way. Paul told the church in Corinth, you respond to Jesus fulfilling the promises by saying Amen. You say something. Amen. Uh, it could mean truly, let it be so. Really, it's just a Hebrew way of saying yes. You're saying yes. So God has said yes in Jesus, and we're saying yes. We believe. We agree. May it be done as you said it would. 
So I don't know if you've ever said, why do we say amen at the end of prayers? That's so weird. I don't even know what that word means. Or amen, maybe for some of you. Um, why do we say that, right? Like why, why do certain people, we sing a song and you hear somebody, amen. Maybe somebody's preaching. We don't, we don't really like to do this here. Is, Andrew, is Andrea in here? Her, her sister was here the other day. She, was, she almost had me going, guys. I was, I was ready. But if y'all were to start saying amen to what you believe is true and you say, yes, God has fulfilled his promises. Amen. amen. What are you saying? You're saying, yes, we believe that. We're worshiping when we say that. We say amen. So I want to encourage you to actually do what Paul said to the church in Corinth right now. Like, not literally this moment, but like, when we sing at the end of prayers corporately, when somebody's saying something true, we say amen, and we're saying yes. We're saying yes to God's yes. And so Paul, he lays out, how can you trust my planning? How can you trust how I've led? God's faithful. Jesus is faithful. And then he even ends by talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is faithful, not just in Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but even in the church. He's saying, how can you say that I'm not true and I'm not honest? Look at the fruit. Look at what's happened in you after you believe the message about Jesus that I preached. He said there's a couple of things that happen. God has strengthened us together. He's anointed us, so he's strengthened us in our faith. He's given us a firm foundation. He's anointed us. He, just like a prophet or priest or a king in the Old Testament was marked with anointing oil, set apart, commissioned for service to God, that doesn't just happen to prophets, priests, and kings anymore. That happens to you. You've been anointed. God has marked you for service. Serve. He's given you his blessing. Disciple. He's giving you his, his blessing. He's anointed you. He's also put his seal on us. He's, he's, he stamped us and said, this is mine. This has been authenticated. They truly are my people. Nobody's going to take them from me. They're true believers. And Paul told the church in Corinth, he's given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Whew. I don't know if any of y'all are trying to look at houses right now. It's, it's hard out there. But uh, the down payment, right? It, it's like, hey, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put him in your heart, change you from the inside now, in small measure, and it's guaranteed that there is much bigger and lasting changes coming because of what I've done. It's like the appetizer to the meal. You eat that little bit, and you're, there's a whole full course coming, right? So God has given you, he's given me the Holy Spirit, and now you've got the blessings of God. You've got a new heart. You can live with love and joy and peace. You don't have to live because your flesh is directing you and, and causing you to live a certain way. No, you can have freedom. And he says that little taste, that foretaste of heaven is a sign I'm going to come through. I'm going to raise you from the dead. I'm going to give you life eternal. You're going to live on a new heaven and a new earth. So Paul, he has to, he has to deal with this charge. He's not faithful. He doesn't care about us. He says one thing and does another. He planned to come, and he didn't, and he answers. He says, guys, I've treated you with integrity. I'm going to be proud of you on the day the Lord Jesus returns. He says, 
the message I've preached, the ministry I've led, the type of person I am, it's all just like God who's faithful. Jesus is the yes. He's fulfilled all of God's promises. You can trust the message. You can trust me, the messenger. And in response, you praise God. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is already attesting this is true and you can trust me. So Paul, he does a masterful job of winning back the church in Corinth. But today, I want to ask you to reflect and process for just a couple of minutes. So if you've got a journal, got a phone, pull something out, please. I really, I believe that when you actually have to internalize the message and you make your own plan, guided by the Holy Spirit, you're much more likely to obey. I know it's easy to just listen to somebody and then leave, but I'm telling you, you're not going to experience as much transformation as you could if you were to really internalize it and make a plan and have some accountability, have people around you who can ask you about it. So, two questions. Two questions I want to ask you guys. What did you hear God saying to you? Maybe it was through reading the text. Maybe it was something I said. Maybe it was just a thought, an impression came to you. What did you hear God saying to you? And second question, how are you going to follow? If Jesus really is our good shepherd and we believe he's speaking to us and he's leading us into abundant life, what did you hear him say today? And practically, this week, how are you going to follow him? Do you need to start to have integrity? Do you need to start to think about the people you're going to have pride in? Do you need to trust the gospel of Jesus? Maybe for some of you, you need to get baptized today. Maybe you've never taken that step and said, no, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to go public with it. Maybe for some of you, it's just the ongoing trusting of God in your everyday life. You trust his promises throughout your Christian life. Or maybe for some of you, it's you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit more. Whatever it is, I want to give you a minute or two. Write down, what did you hear, and how will you follow?
God made promises all throughout the scriptures to Israel, to the church. And Jesus is God's ultimate yes, a resounding yes. And it took Jesus doing something specific to accomplish or to fulfill um, those promises. The reality is that Jesus fulfilled God's promises, all of them, at the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life, a life of righteousness, purity. He loved God. He loved people. And you and I don't. We don't live that kind of life. By nature, we're the exact opposite. We're sinful. We're broken people. And we needed somebody to step in our place and to die in our place, to take our sin upon himself, to cover us in his blood, to wash us and to cleanse us. We needed God himself, the only perfect one, in the form of a man to be able to do that. So Jesus died in your place. He died in my place. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. Jesus would go on to pour out the Holy Spirit like we just read about. And for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus today, don't hear me saying, have more integrity. Uh, Don't hear me saying, be a better person. I hope what you're hearing me say is, you can't. You cannot be this kind of person. You cannot live this kind of life. But through faith in Jesus, surrendering your life to him as Lord of your life, you can. He can give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He can change your heart. And he can help you live this kind of life. So again, today, if if you've never put your faith in Jesus, uh, I'll be in the back of the room uh, during this next song if you want. You can just walk to the back, come talk with me. If you have questions about what it would look like to follow him, um, it starts by confessing, believing God raised Jesus from the dead and he is Lord of my life. And then we'll take out, we got a horse trough back here. We'll just wheel it on out, put some water in it and dunk you. And picture the old you is dying and the new you is being raised to a new life. If you've never been baptized, today can be that day for you. And if you are a Christian, as we sing this next song, as we take communion, as we worship, give your amen. Maybe you don't do it verbally. I would encourage you to do it verbally, but give your amen. Put your yes on the table and say, yes, I believe I'm going to continue to trust your promises. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his integrity and the way that he loved the church in Corinth and how he opened his heart to them. God, I pray that we could learn from his example and help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be people of our word. Help us to do the things we say we're going to do. Lord, most of all, thank you for Jesus and the fact that he's fulfilled all of your promises. That in Jesus, all your promises are yes. God, help us to respond on Sunday mornings throughout our life, just every day. Help us to continually offer up an amen to give our yes to Jesus. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.